Deciding to be devoted rather than motivated is highly effective because motivation is fleeting, but devotion is simply a practice. It's coming back to the thing that gives us life that's important to us and setting up a few systems and structures that make that easier to do. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Bain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. I'm going to be honest. I'm coming in a little salty today. And here's what that's about. If you know me, then you know that it drives me a little crazy when I'm scrolling through social media or maybe I'm out and about in the world and I'm seeing signs and memes and platitudes about following our dreams, you know, follow your heart, do what you love, and it'll all work out, that kind of stuff. I mean, I love the message in that, but if I'm frank, I also think it's a little misguided and for some of us, downright dangerous. Because to tell us to follow our dreams and not explain how, (laughs) it's kind of a bait and switch, right? The bait is you can have everything you want, and the switch is, oh my gosh, why aren't things working out, right? So there's this high and low feeling for a lot of us, because of course you want to follow your dreams. We all want to follow our dreams, and of course we've all got goals, and maybe we do even believe that our goals will work out if we get started, but how do we really get started? How do we get from where we are to where we want to go? Well, this month has been our month of beginnings on Messy and Magnificent. And this being the last episode of the month is our culmination episode. This is a new practice we've begun together where we get to pull out the richest clips from the last month and go into them a little bit deeper based on what you're asking for. What parts of each episode this month have really stood out to you? Because sometimes we choose our beginnings. Like you want to start a new project or you're considering a career change or maybe you're thinking about going back to school or you've just graduated from school or a training program or have just left a position you've had for a while and it's time to apply your skills or sometimes beginnings pick us, right? We're minding our own business and a job change comes our way, maybe in the form of a layoff or in the form of COVID for many people. Or maybe your kids grew up and they've become more independent. Or sometimes change looks like your partner or your roommate coming home with a surprise kitten and no notice, right? So by choice or not, for high achieving women, beginnings are not a rare occurrence. They're a constant because you constantly have evolving dreams. You have new goals and passions and interests and curiosity. And once you live into one, you're already thinking about the next one. But here's the thing. To always be in a state of beginning in every area of our career, our health, and our relationships all at once is exhausting. Constantly feeling like we have to start all over from scratch and ditch the hard-won wisdom or work we've already done is definitely not the goal. 
So it's not just about having memes that say, follow our dreams. That's not what makes our dreams a reality. We want to know how we begin something that's going to take us someplace so that we have an experience that enriches us and perhaps leads to the destination that you're hoping for, or better yet, a destination that's even better than you've yet imagined. So here's what we're going to culminate on this month in this episode. You're going to hear clips from three of our prior episodes this month. Number 74, about inviting newness in. How we clear space for what's important. Specifically, we're going to talk about how women know the difference between urgency, meaning what feels like it has to get done, and what actually does need to be tended to. This is how we make sure that you have the time for the things that are important, even when your plate is full. Then we're going to get into some clips from episode 75 with devotion to the dream. This is about what you can stop doing so that you have the time to really start with our guest, Charlene Ryman. So specifically, you're going to hear about some signs that indicate when it's time for you to bring something new into the world. One really important step to make bringing that into the world possible. And then the importance of letting some things go and specifically how to know what those things are that you can stop doing. And also Charlene shares this really interesting concept of what she calls this dance between will and surrender, meaning when to know when you need to push yourself a little bit more to get things done and when it's actually okay to lean back and let things unfold for you. And then, of course, it would not be an episode of Messy Magnificent if we didn't talk about a few of the messy things. So you're going to hear clips from 76. This was the episode where we talked about having a curveball thrown your way. And I shared the specifics about how my company starts projects that we know are going to be successful and how we revamp when our plans are foiled, because we could all use a little bit of that right now, right? So... Before we get started and all this juicy stuff, this is the part where I get to pause and give a shout out. And today, I want that shout out to be specifically for you. Hop on over to iTunes, leave a review, tell me what's landing in these episodes so that I could give you a shout out in an upcoming episode. Or better yet, you can email a voice memo to Anitza at everybodythrive.com with a takeaway from this or any episode and we'll add your voice to an upcoming recording. I would love for you to be part of this conversation. So I'll put a link to Anitza here in the show notes. Whichever method you choose, I cannot wait to be able to be in conversation with you on an upcoming episode. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see... Women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. They're something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. 
And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. All right, so... As we dive into today's topic today, I want you to imagine that it's time for you to begin something new. You've just had an idea or you've scheduled a moment and you've probably had to really carve out time in your schedule to get that moment to start a project or make a phone call or do a little research. And then just like clockwork, the moment you sit down or you begin this new thing, all of a sudden life can pick up. The phone starts ringing or friends or family or clients or coworkers are asking for your attention. And it would just be oh so easy to put your needs on the back burner, right? Or to put this project in the I'll get to this soon pile. And the next thing you know, this great idea or desire you have is just collecting dust. Well, I want to know from you if any of this from episode 74 sounds familiar. So you know how when you sit down to get something done and you mean to just like, I don't know, real quick, check your email, but a message from a coworker or a client or a family member pings into your inbox or your cell phone. And the next thing you know, you're swept up in a new direction. You're putting out a fire and then you're trying to get back to the original task at hand, but a little distracted, perhaps even frazzled after what you've just had to tend to. And there is certainly less time in your day now because you've just dedicated some of it to dealing with this thing that just cropped up. And these are just the external examples of things that can come in to distract us. But there's also the internal ones. Like when you sit down, if you are working from home right now, and all of a sudden the dishes in the sink start really bothering you. So you just want to do a few real quick, or you just want to throw in a quick load of laundry real fast or shop online for that new sweater, or, ooh, I'm just going to pay this bill real quick. Or if you are in your office or workplace, maybe you're tempted to walk down the hall to refill your water bottle or chat up with a coworker. And there's just this sense of urgency because perhaps these tasks, they might feel small and doable and could get just done real quick, right? If you just addressed it right now, then you could get back to the other things and be able to focus, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. Well, let's talk about this for a moment. Urgent things will always feel like they need an immediate response, but really, only emergencies need an immediate response. Sometimes when I'm in the Reclaiming Times studio, we make these kind of tongue-in-cheek remarks about, you know, if the house isn't burning down and nobody's bleeding, you take your sweet time. All right, so that's a little bit about urgency. Let's define what importance means. Things that are important are things that are related to what you most value. These are things that you either want to continue to experience or you would love to be able to begin to experience. So having a sense of what you value is really important, not just because it feels nice, but because this is what helps us know what is actually important or what's not. If we know a little bit about what you value, that will make every other decision about what you focus your time, energy, and resources on throughout the day a lot easier. 
Because if we can hold it up to the candle of what you value, we can say, okay, does this project or task or request lead towards more of what I value or not? And if it does, then it might be something that's actually important. And if it doesn't, perhaps it falls into the urgency category. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here. But you see, when we don't have a clear sense of what it is that we value and what important focal points support that value, then it's really hard to know what to say yes or no to, right? So that's where I get a lot of questions about, Carly, how do I know if I should do this thing or not? And it's often about daring to pause and go to the foundation of what is it that I value, that I am championing right now at this moment in my life. Because if we know what we value, then we can ask ourselves, does this opportunity or request or project or activity lead me in the direction of that value? Or does it actually kind of stray me away for it? So for example, if you know that you value a sense of stability in your career, but you work for a company that's known to do reorganizations and layoffs and generally not just value its employees, then you might know that focusing extra hours that doing extra bonus time or doing extra requests outside of your actual job description doesn't lean into your values. It actually steers you away from what it is that you care about, which is a sense of stability, which might need to be cultivated someplace else if you're not getting it at work. So here's an example of some things that might feel important. Maybe getting good sleep is important to you or having time with your loved ones or earning a comfortable living or feeling like you can express yourself freely without judgment, or being out in nature. A lot of my clients, they like to go for walks. They like to be outside. Now, I should tell you that all of the sound bites that you're hearing, we've got links to the full episodes in the show notes. So if you're hearing something and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I want to know the full scoop on that, head on over to the show notes wherever you're listening, and you can get full access to that episode. All right, so now we've talked a little bit about strengthening your discernment muscles and noticing the difference between what feels urgent and what's really actually important. Now it's time to talk about how we live into those important areas or ideas or goals that you have. This is where I really love talking with other women who have navigated the territory of transition and started something new because it's hard to live into something we haven't seen modeled before, right? And We've all heard the before and after stories about, oh, I was unhappy in my job, so I left and I started a business and now things are great. But there's a big juicy middle <laughs> to that story. So I want to be able to give some light on how do you know that when you have an idea and it feels important that it's actually time to do something with it. This was one of the questions I could not wait to ask our guests on episode 75 author, business owner, and teacher, Charlene Ryman gave us very candid insight into when she knows when it's time to actually begin something. You made a big shift a number of years ago to change from working in one corporate environment to working for yourself. And I'm so curious, how did you know it was time to make the shift that first time? And how long ago was that? And when did you know, you know what, maybe there's something that's due for a change up here? The time that I knew without any doubt was one morning I was getting ready for work and I was rushing around and I was a little late and trying to get it all done. And I looked in the mirror to see, oh, what does my hair look like? How's my makeup look? And I just paused because I didn't recognize the person that was looking back at me. And I was like, 
who is this person? You know, who is this person that's rushing around to get to a job that I'm totally stressed out about that is not anything closely related to my true self? And I just, I mean, I don't know how long I I looked in the mirror. It was probably only a few seconds, but it seemed like a lifetime. And I knew that I had to make a change. I knew that I wanted to be able to look in the mirror and look at myself in the eyes and be like, yeah, Charlene, you know, like you're this amazing being and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're taking one step at a time down this path to be who you really are. And that's when I knew, I knew, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I had to do it. So that's a powerful statement. This awareness of, I don't know how to do it, but I know that it's time. Mm -hmm. to do this. And so then what happens next? What happens when you look in the mirror and you go, something needs to change. I don't recognize myself. I want to be the person who's proud to look in the mirror. What's the next step then? So for me, the next step was, which many times is, is I didn't listen (laughs) (laughs) because I don't always listen. I be so honest with each other. Yeah. I heard it and then I ignored it. Yes, yeah. Because I was it. like, yep. yeah, okay. But all these other voices are in my head too, saying, you know, you have a good job. Just keep doing it. You can stick it out. Blah, 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 blah. All these things. So uh, what I try to do is to listen to those. Because to me, that's like a whisper. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, whoa, not me. What's going on? And, you know, probably would have been good for me to take some action. But I just waited and I kept doing what I was doing. And then the whispers got louder and louder and louder. And, you know, one day I was just, I was driving pretty long distance with a work-related thing. Like this bridge was coming up and I was like, no, like I, I can't do this anymore. Like there's a bridge. I can just like, I don't have to do this anymore, you know, because of how I felt. And then I realized, you know, it's not about me driving off a bridge. It's about me leaving behind this life that I didn't want anymore. So, you know, it wasn't this like life death kind of decision that it appeared to be, you know, when I was driving down there, I'm like, oh my gosh, really, Charlene, you think you're going to drive off the bridge? No, you're not, you know, but it was, you're not going to drive off the bridge, but you are not going to keep living your life this way. Like, this is not Mm. the life that you want to live. And it was like this big aha moment of like, things are so bad that that's, that's what's coming up for you. Like you need to make a change. Like this isn't like a nice choice anymore. This is like, you need to move forward into the life that you want. And you need to do it now because voices are loud now. This isn't like little whispers. This is like, you need to do something. Yeah. So that's when that was like the next step. And then what I did to answer your question is I started to ask for help because I didn't know what to do. And that sounds small, but that is huge. That is huge. For me to ask for help was huge at that time. And I'm getting better and better at it all the time. But so I didn't even know who to ask. So, you know, okay, well, I can pray about this. I can start to talk to people. And someone gave me that advice and said, just talk to people. Like, if you're not sure, just start talking to people and you'll get hints and and tips about what to do. Mm -hmm. So getting help, getting help is I think the next step. And I've learned that over and over again, when I get to these thresholds, that the thing that works for me is to ask for help, is to find what it is that I need that can help me take that next step. Because I know that I cannot do it myself. I I, I just, I don't even want to anymore. I mean, at one time I did, I was like, I can do this. Like I can do this all. Like I know I need to change. I'm smart. I can figure this out. 
but that's not, that's not what works. It doesn't work for me. And I, I'm not sure who that works for, but um, I don't want it to work for me. <laughs> I want to be able to say, what do I need? And who is the best person to help me with that? I'm curious, do you have criteria for who you go to, to ask for help? Are you comfortable just asking the next person that pops onto your radar or do, are you selective? What is your process for knowing who is a good person to share this tender new idea, this thing, because I'm thinking of it as a visual of like the fledgling bird, a new idea is a tender thing. And I know I've had ideas stomped on inadvertently by people who just told me all the reasons it would be hard or difficult to do that thing. And I've, I've neglected those ideas sometimes as a result of that early on. So how do you know who might I elicit help from or who might I share this new idea with? To me, it's a feeling. So it's a feeling that I get in my body. So if I'm starting to talk to someone and let's say I think, oh, maybe this is who I could share this with. I make sure that I look them in the eyes, like that I'm not looking over their head. I'm not looking at something behind them. I'm not diverted, but I'm making eye contact with them. And I believe that when you're really looking at someone's eyes, you're not just seeing the person, you're seeing their soul. You're seeing something more than just this, a human in front of you. And that's how I know, like, that's how I know is what is looking back at me. And is the person looking back at me? Because maybe they're not, maybe it's really hard to make eye contact with somebody. And then that's like my answer. It's like, you know what, this person doesn't even, won't even look at me. They're not going to be the person that's going to care to hold space, care to support me, care to give me feedback on whatever this is. So to me, the eye contact and just that feeling, like if we're talking and suddenly like my stomach is feeling kind of like, eh, doesn't mean I don't like this person. It's just, they're not the person to share this idea with. They're not the one that's going to help me to move this forward in the right way. I love how very specific you were with that, with just the eye contact alone. There's this physical feeling in your body, but just also this kind of like this litmus test. It's not like you're really testing humans, but just you're kind of taking the temperature a little bit of, is this the person who could hold this, who could champion this with me, who can handle or be excited about this project that I'm bringing forth? Golly, what great information to know right off the bat, and especially the way you express it without judgment, meaning it doesn't mean that this person's not a good friend, nor does it mean my idea is good or bad if they respond good or bad right? It's just this awareness of, is this person interested in being on this path with me? I think the other thing, I know that the other thing is these two qualities, uh, the quality of, um, of truth, that I'm going to know that this person is going to tell me the truth about what they feel. I feel like that's a strength. So this uh, strength, strong that the person's not going to be wishy-washy. They're not going to be like, oh, oh, that's a great idea. You know, good for you. And, and they, you know, it's not sincere. It's, it's strong. Like it's strong. And the person is also soft. Like it's this combination of strength and softness. And that's who I want to give me feedback. That's who I want to share my ideas with because I don't want somebody that's all soft is just going to be like, oh, here's Charlene. She has an idea. I'm just going to, t- you know, tell her, I think it's great. And I also don't want a person who's just always going to be like, no, no, no. I I want that perfect combination of strength and softness. And I think about the people that I surround myself with, and it's more and more people that are just like that. They're truthful and they're soft. Remember when I said earlier that we were going to get pragmatic in this episode and talk about how to have the time to actually begin something new? 
Well, what you're about to hear next is part of my ongoing conversation with Charlene, where she shared what women who accomplish things know, that in order to start something new, we must also be willing to stop do some things that no longer serve us or our new goals. And I know that is a lot easier said than done because saying no or rocking the boat or changing our minds and the backlash that can happen for others when we change our minds can be such a foreign, unfamiliar, or uncomfortable experience for women. So I thought it would be important for you to hear how Charlene knows what she can stop doing. As you were making the decision, if it's okay with you to use this book as an example and bringing this forward into the world, what did you have to stop doing in order to start this active writing? Once you knew it was a book and you knew it was going to an editor and to ultimately to a publisher, what were the stops required for this starting? It was having really good boundaries was really, really important. And knowing that I have a certain amount of hours in a day, this is really important to me. And there are things that I'm not going to be able to, to, to do. And one of those was to continue to work full-time. So I had worked full-time 40 hours a week before. And I knew that my health was not going to allow me to work 40 hours a week. And then when my, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, when my workday's done to have enough energy to dedicate to birthing this book. So I needed to say, look, like I can do this. Like I can work less and I want to have time where I'm not exhausted to, to dedicate to this. And I'm not ready to, to, I wasn't ready to stop working altogether yet. You know, like I, I wanted to keep doing that. So it was really looking closely at how I was spending my time. And then in a sense, priorities, I guess, setting priorities to say, what's the most important? And then what isn't, what am I doing? That's not going to contribute to the thing that's the most important thing. You know, what, what is the thing that I value? Where do I want my life to go? What are those things that I'm doing during the day that are not contributing to that, to that journey, to those next steps? And that's not easy. I mean, it sounds kind of easy, but it's, it's not, it's like learning to say no, it's learning to turn the computer off. It's learning, you know, all of those things. I really appreciate your awareness that the beginning of something takes energy. And I know that sounds really obvious when we say it out loud, but I don't know how many times I've added something to my calendar without actually thinking about the energy need to be involved in following through on that thing, whether it's a one-time phone call with somebody or it's a long-term commitment to bring a project into the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's just this, this notion of this thing is going to take energy or time or attention And thus, I might need to recalibrate what my schedule looks like, at least for right now, right? For this moment. And then things can shift back or shift differently moving forward. But okay, so let's say you've gotten your idea or it's time to begin something new and you know what's important to you. Maybe you've stopped doing a few things that you have a little extra time and energy or resources to live into this new area. But now, how do you stick with it, right? Because I've been saying for years that relying on motivation, it's kind of like relying on a bad boyfriend. (laughs) Sometimes it's there. And sometimes motivation forgets to come home at night or more likely first thing in the morning. It's suddenly out the window and it gets you all hopped up on these sweet talking endorphins when you have the new idea. But then it leaves you high and dry when the next best idea saunters by, right? So rather than bank on motivation, both Charlene and many of my clients find 
that deciding to be devoted rather than motivated is highly effective because motivation is fleeting, but devotion is simply a practice. It's coming back to the thing that gives us life that's important to us and setting up a few systems and structures that make that easier to do. Now, Charlene has a really beautiful way of making sure that she doesn't always have to push herself because it's not sustainable to always be in a place of forcing things, especially in the beginning. We want to have a little momentum by our side. Instead, Charlene does this dance with being both willful and surrendering so that neither fear nor overworking to the point of burnout will impede her progress. So for you, is there anything that helps you stay devoted? Because I'm sure there's times when these other things must be really tempting. You're beginning a project and, ooh, the phone calls are tempting or the, the invitations are really tempting. And especially as the world is opening up back up, you know, in this new way. So anything that helps you hone your attention on what you're devoted to? Yes. I'm going to say it's will and surrender. So it's knowing that as part of this devotion, there are things that I need to do. So there are steps I need to take. So that's the will part. So that's, you know, I need to set up this meeting. I need to work with the publisher. I need to do, you know, like, so there are these things that are will, like they're very action-based. And then there are parts that are the surrender part. And I always need to make sure that I leave space for that surrender part. And that's to say, okay, I did these things, these willful things, and now I'm going to surrender to the outcome of that. You know, I don't know what that outcome is going to be. I can think about what I'd like it to be, but I don't actually have control over that outcome. You know, so it's, it's, it's somebody else's job. It's the universe's job. It's somebody else's job to take that next step. So it's just surrendering to that. And, you know, I think that that is another part of the getting quiet is just surrendering to that next step. And if I don't do both of those, I'm exhausted. If I'm doing will, 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 you know, I spent a huge part of my life just doing will because it was like, I want this to get done. I'm going to get done. I'm going to keep going and going and going. And I'm totally exhausted, but I'm going to keep going because I know what I want to happen. Instead of saying, okay, I think this is my next step. You know, I feel pretty comfortable about that. I'm going to do these things to make that step because I'm devoted to this. Like, this is what I want to do. So it takes action. I can't sit around the closet and hope it happens. But I also need to take that time to just, it's almost like a culmination too. It's like, okay, I've done those things. Now I'm going to surrender. I'm going to rest. I'm going to wait till I get that next piece of guidance so that I know what the next step is. That's what helps me. As you describe this, your face lights up, like you beam as you talk about the dance between the will and the surrender. And even your body language is so, it's so sweet because as you do will, you know, you, you look like, um, like you're at a podium, you know, you're, you're sitting tall and your hands are moving. And as you do surrender, you lean gently into your feet and you, and you smile. And so I think the other thing is not being afraid. It's kind of like letting fear out of the picture, because if you start to bring fear in, then it's just this road, it's this constant roadblock that, well, I'm afraid I won't sell books. I'm afraid this, I'm afraid that like, whatever that next step is, you know, when I was going to leave my job, like all these fears come up and, you know, you remind us often that the, these fears are messengers, like it's a message and you can listen to the message, but you don't have to let it stop you. And I think that's the other part of this is like, once you know that this is the right thing, it's your idea. It picked you. Well, don't be afraid, you know, just like see what the next thing is. Just keep keep going with it. Be devoted to it if it speaks to you. And then don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. 
golly, I hope you find Charlene as inspiring and refreshing as I do. And if so, and you're feeling a little bit more juiced up about living into the new things you're beginning, now's a great moment to talk nuts and bolts for a second. Because on episode 76, while it was all still very fresh, I pulled back the curtain on how I run my company, Everybody Thrive, for the last 15 years, and I shared how we bring new ideas, products, or programs to our clients and audience in a very pragmatic kind of way. Specifically, here's the anatomy of how we begin something new. Now, I use what I playfully refer to as a shampoo cycle in my practice, meaning it's kind of a rinse and repeat model. So what I look for within my coaching practice is patterns. I look for patterns of typical threads of conversation or thought or concerns that a lot of my women clients are bringing up. I notice them. So when five or 10 or 15 women tell me that they're brushing up with issues around boundaries, I begin to pay attention to that. And then I start to do some research there. I research by asking them questions, but I also go out into the world and do my own research, reading books, taking courses, learning about what information around this topic already exists out in the world. And then I start to create a process. I notice, okay, if boundaries are tricky, where do we begin? And I might begin to hatch an idea for one technique that my clients can use based on what I've seen work before. So we give that a try and then I pause and I culminate on the results. I look at, okay, what went well here that we might apply again? What areas are there still holes where I might need more information or more research? And I start to look for, again, the patterns around what's working. What new patterns are emerging now that we brought in additional information? And then create a new process, try it, pause, culminate, look at the results look for the new patterns, and so on and so forth. So you're noticing that there's a system here. It's just like a like the shampoo bottle says, even though I never do it. We rinse and repeat, right? We go again and again and again. So the creation of something significant, in this case, a course that we're bringing publicly to the world, it did not happen overnight. It took many years of being really intentional. Now, not every beginning takes many years, but I thought I would give you an example of one that does. Because I think it's so common that we see the visibility story. We hear about the wild successes, but we don't always understand that even what appears to be an overnight success, like the Boundary Academy really took off from the moment we went public. It was like a 15-year overnight success. (laughs) Like when we went public, it did well, but it was years in the making prior to that. Now, you can probably see in the shampoo cycle system how it's easy to get really deep into a rich area that you're inspired by or you're intrigued by. And a lot of the guesswork is taken out of creating a new project or idea or presentation because we just kept asking questions and seeking out those answers that we needed in order to inform which steps made sense next. So we weren't guessing at our steps. Every time we didn't know the answer to the question, We just did a little bit more research. We educated ourselves a little bit more around what we needed in order to make a living into this new goal possible. But you know what? If that was all we did, lots of projects would get started. Lots of ideas would be hatched, but very few things would get completed. I mean, has that ever happened to you where you have a great idea you work on it for days or weeks or months, heck, even years, (laughs) but 
Somehow you kind of start to get swept up in the day-to-day or you have another idea or things shift. And the next thing you know, you're beginning off in a new direction. And this kind of thing, it usually happens for most of us. But having a pattern of beginning things that we don't finish both sucks up our time, our resource and our energy because we're working on things that we don't quite follow through on. But equally as importantly, if not more so, it sucks up our confidence. Our confidence goes right down the drain too, because if we see ourselves constantly not following through on what it is that we care about, we begin to question if our dreams and passion are possible at all. Or worse yet, we question if we're smart enough or capable enough or brave enough or committed enough to have what it takes to follow through on things. And that just makes us feel like no matter what we do, we won't be enough. You see, once we've done our homework and we're clear that we have something to offer the world, there comes a time where we must do our level best to complete it, to live into it, to make it real. So what you're about to hear is one method that has changed everything for me. (laughs) This is what took me from being a serial idea haver that chronically felt stuck in place, always feeling like my best ideas were destined to just be gathering dust underneath the sofa somewhere, to getting things done, big and small. This is how I wrote and published my first book. It's how I grew my company from a solo practice to a team of 12. It's how I launched this podcast. And it has to do with deciding on the outcome before we fully begin and then working backwards if we finally want to move forward. Now, here's some of the nuts and bolts of the system of actually bringing something new into the world that I use on a regular basis. I reverse engineer almost everything. Some people call this an answers first model. So what we want to do is we want to look at what is the end goal here? In this case, what is the Boundary Academy? And after many years of doing the shampoo, rinse and repeat cycle, I knew that the Boundary Academy needed to have two components. It needed to have the tools and information taught in a structured classroom format, and it needed to have ongoing community support because living into boundaries is, in a healthy way anyway, is not something most of us have seen modeled. And so information alone, we realized through lots of practice, was not enough. We needed both. So once I knew what the Boundary Academy was, it was this two-component program, course material and the community. Then all I had to do was pick the date I was going to bring this into the world. So I worked in reverse here. I figured out, okay, if the end goal here was to start a new class of the Boundary Academy on March 1st, then the thing that would have to be true just before that was that registration would have to close the last week in February, right? So if we're going to start a course on March 1st, well, then everybody has to already have signed up, right? So that was the first thing we put on the calendar was registration has to close the last week of February. Now, in order for that to be true, in order for that to be the next answer, well, then just before that registration closing, registration would have to open right? (laughs) We'd have to actually let people in to register. And this was going to have to happen in that third week in February. And in order for people to be able to register, well, there would need to be a web page for people to go and register. And so that would need to be completed the first week in February, which means somebody would have to start building that page in January. And as you can see, we begin to reverse engineer this whole process. We knew what the end goal was. 
The theory we were testing to see if we could make it true was that we would have a class of women on March 1st. And then we worked in reverse, filling in what would need to happen in order for that to be true. Now, what's really nice about this system is that in addition to making sure all the nuts and bolts are laid out in order, there's also this reality check thing happening. And this caused dates and ideas to shift on a regular basis for us, where I might say, well... If we want a thousand women to be in the first cast of the Boundary Academy, this is much work would have to go into making that true. And that, frankly, was more than we were really going to commit to right now. But if we wanted a cozy cohort of women, well, then less was required. And that was a lot more doable. So this is what helps us create the goals and then make sure right out of the gate that we're actually going to live into them. This is what makes follow through so much more possible. Wowie, we covered a lot in this past month. So picking out the sound bites made this a really comprehensive episode. Do not feel like you have to remember it all. One nugget of wisdom or insight, whether it's something you heard me or guests on the show say this month, or if it was something that was bubbling up within you, is plenty if we tend to it. So I want to know. What is one part of this culmination episode that you're gonna take with you? What do you not want to forget from today? Take that over to iTunes, leave a review, tell me what's landed so I can give you a shout out on an upcoming episode or better yet, if you're feeling courageous, email a voice memo of your takeaway from this episode to Anitza at everybodythrive.com. There's a link to that here in the show notes, and we will add your voice to an upcoming thread of conversation here. Because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including having both the tools and being part of a community that makes your beginnings far more doable. And I'll see you again next week with a brand new theme that I have a hunch you're gonna love. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.